This is Case Closed, crime stories from the golden age of radio. This is Case Closed, your weekly hour of old-time radio crime, brought to you every Wednesday at relicradio.com. First story this week comes from Broadway Is My Beat. We'll hear the Raymond Grant murder case from February 16th, 1952. After that, it's Philip Marlowe and the face to forget his story from June 14th, 1950. Broadway's My Beat, from Times Square to Columbus Circle, the gaudiest, the most violent, the lonesomest mile in the world. Broadway's My Beat, with Larry Thor as Detective Danny Clover. Winter begins its long dying, and Broadway reacts to the process about the same as anywhere else, with a kind of joy, with a smile touched off by the little warmth left inside. Except on Broadway, there will be things to remember. The evenings, just as nighttime drifted in when the lights on the translux were winter fireflies and twinkled of how it is to be at war in February. And the coffee smells and the crowd and the time when you delivered the runaway Pekingese back to the girl whose lips quivered when she kissed the dog. And the night's dying, and remember how it was, as seen through the prism of a cold tear. The night had died in the place where I was, and the first light diluted the shadows in the hallway, revealed these things, the carpeting rich and carved, and the intruding pattern, the blood on it. The man's blood lying on it, and the young girl in an evening gown and furs, and her sobs. I'm trying to find out from you, Miss Daly, is whether you knew this man, whether you've ever talked to him. Whether there's a reason why he should be dead in front of my door. That's right. From what I can tell, this man was beaten to death. And the way he's lying, he probably struck his head against this wall here where there's blood. Well, I, I told you. I told you all I know about it. Tell me again. Like, well, I was on the town, nightclub party, you know? Go on. Well, I, I came home. I saw this man. This man who delivers milk. His identification says his name is Raymond Grant. Do, do you know him? Do you have talked to him? You keep asking me that. I, I told you that. I, I came home and you I... You came I saw... home alone? Yes. I always come home alone, Mr. Clover. It's, it's a good deed I do myself whenever I go out. I came home alone and I, I found this man... He was lying just as he is now. You went into your apartment, called the police. Yes, yes. What do you do, Miss Daly? I, I study history, Mr. Clover. I'm a graduate student at the university. How long ago did you come home, Miss Daly? I, I, I don't know. Half hour, 20 minutes or more. I, I don't know. About that, though. I'd say this man was killed just a little while before you got here. Oh. Say that he... Oh, please. Please. Finally, shock that has drifted on the flow of dawn ends its search and touches the bare shoulder to the girl. She draws the fur close about her throat and it ripples with her trembling. And death lies still across her threshold, barring the way to her darkened room where sleep is, where there's an end to shock, where night's gaiety can be dreamed again. And when the attendants come and take away their dead, the trembling is still on the girl. And the shock, frozen now in her eyes, shapes a wall against further questioning. Try to help her into her room. Be pushed away. So leave her for a later time. And at Crane Dairies, take a man away from the roar of incoming outgoing milk trucks, from the clatter of crates loaded, unloaded. Take him to a wallboard office slammed against the edge of the loading platform. Question him. Raymond was quite a boy, Mr. Clover. Maybe that's why he had to die like that. You have theories about the way people should die, Mr. Perry? Look, look, will you? Don't try to make me out I'm being a sharpie with you. When you asked me about him, it just spilled out, that's all. Maybe it wasn't the thing to say. But you knew him well, huh? No better than I know my other boys. I'm a foreman, see? So after hours, sometimes they nuzzle up to me, tell me things about themselves. So I'll look on them with kindness when rescheduling time comes up. Raymond Grant did that to you, too, huh? Yeah, he did. Well, 
Look, Mr. Clover, uh, the boy's dead. I I won't feel right if I... I just won't feel right. Well, like you said, Mr. Perry, he's dead. Dead by violence. Dead by murder. Whatever he was, we owe him his killer. Whatever he was. You'll tell me, huh? What do I know about a boy like Raymond? Comes to me after his route, shows me little notes his lady customers have left in his empty... Oh? No oh about it, Mr. Clover. Most of our boys get little things like that left in their empties. But with Raymond, there was a kind of different slant. More personal, maybe. To tell you who they were from? We got a kind of group loyalty here in this milk factory, Mr. Clover. Things like that a foreman don't pry into. Makes us all buddy-buddy. The kind of man you tell me Raymond was. He didn't brag a little, give you names. Look, maybe he wrote them to himself for all I know. The boys do that sometimes, to equalize things among themselves. Hey, look, he has a wife, uh, a little house on Staten Island, with a lawn. What could a man ever want with... Okay with you if I go back to work now. You stop my one address, then you can go back to work. And leave there, driving out of lower Manhattan, Staten Island Ferry. The day is marked by a boat ride. Get out of your car to enjoy it. Watch the squat bow cut through the mid-morning mists. And near the other side, not be able to resist the hand wave to the sailor lounging against the rail of the tramp steamer and get a grin in return. And the ocean voyage is over. The drive to the address on Staten. Find it, park the car, walk up the short path to the white frame house. Yes? The woman who opens the door is small and pale. The expression she wears had been locked there a long time ago, face to go with the house. Only time would change it, and one day it would fall apart. Yes? What can I do for you? Are you Mrs. Grant? Yes. Come in, please. Oh, thank you. I'm from the police, Mrs. Grant. I know. Mr. Perry called from the plant. I've been waiting for you. In here, please. You must sit down if you like. Thank you. About your husband. I know. Mr. Perry told you? Yes. I'm trying to find out why he was killed. Yes? So we want your cooperation. Anything you can tell us. Tell you? Yes, about your husband. Why somebody would want to kill him. I don't quite understand what you mean, Mr. Clover. Well, uh... I can't see how anybody would kill Raymond because of what I could tell you about him. Just tell me what you can. I guess he was a good husband. I haven't thought about whether he was or not for a long time. He had his good points and bad points. I didn't like him very much. Why? Well, you know. No, I don't. I didn't like him, that's all. One day a long time ago, we'd been married about eight years then, I I got a feeling about him that never left me. I thought to myself one morning, here I am, a woman, and the life I lead is because of this man, this Husband of mine, Raymond. Did you know anything about his friends? Yes, he had some. I guess outside there, the people he came in contact with. Maybe they liked him. They probably did. He used to come home sometime with more money than he made. I... He used to say they were for favors. What kind of favors? Well, I used to ask him that, and Raymond would tell me something that didn't make any sense at all. I'd forgotten what it was. I stopped asking him a long time ago. Everything was a long time ago, Mr. Clover. I brought you some tea and bagels, Danny, for your 410 dunking. You didn't have it yet, did you? Yeah, I had, Gino, but thanks anyway. It's a strange world. I debated to myself, did Danny have or didn't he have? And I come up with this, a tea bag and a bagel gone to waste. Why don't you have them? Well, if it really makes no never mind, I think I could partake. Go on, Gino, partake. Thank you ever so kindly. Hmm, hits the spot. Hits the very spot. You know, Danny, I will have to walk home to re-wet my appetite. Do you bring me anything else, Gino? Goes without saying. Whenever you think it's the proper time. Mm. Ah, refreshed. And to work. 
The boys you assigned made a run down on an apartment house where the milkman was killed, Annie. What'd they get? Doors slammed in their faces by the elite. Bawling kids thrust into their arms while governesses and maids racked their brains for a memory of said milkman. Ergo. 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 Same as nothing. Oh. All that was known about Raymond Grant is that sometimes the milkman forgot to leave double-rich vitamin-fortified whipped cream. They did check the girl who found him, Carol Daly? Oh, she was out at the time, but we have heard from her from another source. You let me in on it, too, huh? No question. The other source being herself. While you were out, she phoned in. Said she was taking a walk for herself. That's very interesting, Gino. It promises, Danny, has all the earmarks. Her apartment being so near to headquarters, Miss Daly did inform me she was taking a walk to Saint to talk to you and then some new information re-emerged milk. She then... Danny! An accident, you know. Someone's been hit down on the street. The coat, Danny! Don't go out without the overcoat! Out to the street, the swarm had gotten there before I did, the gatherers upon violence, shoulder to shoulder, and surround shock with faces. Drink it in, make a memory out of it, and tell a friend with only slight embellishments. And elbow your way through, and get pushed and muttered at, and finally make it. The girl in the cylinder of street and crowd lies there outstretched. The attitude of her body of infinite grace, sprawled as if in languid acceptance of what had happened to her. Only her face held the recognition of the moment, frozen there. The pearl of blood at her lips. Her name was Carol Daly. Uh, I did it. I did it. You were driving the car that hit her? Yes, I don't know what happened. I just felt the car hit something. Oh, do something for her. Help her. She's dead. Uh, I did it. I murdered. I killed. I did it. I did it. Listening to Broadway's My Beat, written by Morton Fine and David Friedkin, and starring Larry Thor as Detective Danny Clover. Starting tomorrow, listen for World News with Robert Trout, something new in CBS Radio Newsroom coverage. World News with Robert Trout presents as a special weekly feature an interview with the crack CBS Radio News correspondent. This correspondent flies in from his post overseas to give you his authoritative eyewitness viewpoint on latest developments. Starting tomorrow on most of these same stations, World News with Robert Trout. The twilight drains off Broadway, flows down the side streets, gathers, lingers for an instant on the sea edges of the Steel Island, and the neon explodes, the spectacular strike fire... Mists are threaded now with scarlet, and the beckoning to night has begun. It's the end of a February day, and you can go home and die with it, or you can fling yourself into the nighttime, let neon stun you, let the loudspeaker music sob for you. The little crepe paper man dolls will dance for you at the end of their unseen strings. You have a choice, kid. Make it before the poised shadows make it for you. In the office at headquarters, switch on the overhead light against the waiting darkness. The man's face is more clearly seen now. The sallow light falling on the terror of what had happened to him. The running down of a girl in the street. The killing of a girl named Carol Daly. Do we need the light? It's getting dark, Mr. Blair. Oh, yes, of course. I hadn't noticed. You can tell me about it now. Well, I... I don't know. <laughs> I don't know... My wife, please call her. Ask her to come to me. We've done that, Mr. Blow. You asked her to before. Oh, I forgot. I'm sorry. I forgot how to ask you. You see the shock and the horror of what I've done? She's coming. My wife's coming. She's driving down. It'll only take a little while longer. You see, I depend on her for so many things. I'm not ashamed to say it, Mr. Clover. Huh? I'm lost without her. Myra is half my soul, half my being. I'm not ashamed. She'll be here. What do you do, Mr. Blair? Business? Professional? Well, both, I guess. I think you could call it both. I 
have a travel agency. It's downtown near the Battery. Blair's Travel Agency. I arrange tours and cruises. Did you know Carol Daly, the girl you killed? Oh, no. I was just driving home. The traffic seemed so slow. I pulled out from the back of another car, and that girl, she must have darted right into me. And the sound, as if she threw herself against my car, that... that lovely girl. I didn't see her. I, I swear, I didn't see her. It's all right, Robert. I'm here. Don't cry, Robert. Please, don't cry. Mrs. Blair... I want to take him home. What must I do? The charge will be manslaughter, Mrs. Blair. Involuntary. We have our lawyer. You can reach us any time. What must I do to take him home? You can post bond pending the hearing. Arrange for it, please. Don't look that way, Robert. Not in front of... It'll be all right. You're going home. With me, Robert. And turn Mr. Blair over to Sergeant Tataglia, pending the posting of bond. Then leave headquarters, have dinner, go home. Spend the evening in the familiar room with a few familiar things. Pick up a novel you've been promising yourself to read, and not read it because of the fleeting thoughts that intrude themselves. The image of a man dead in a hallway, of a young woman broken and huddled in the street, and in the morning the novel still lies on the arm of the chair where you've slept. Back to headquarters now, and the phone calls and the tracing back to be done. Background wanted on Carol Daly, because Carol Daly had new information about a murder, and Carol Daly was suddenly dead. In three hours, get enough to satisfy you for now. Carol Daly, no parents, 22 years of age. Carol Daly, student, graduate student of history at the university. Go there, see a student assistant, see a registrar, see a dean... Be told finally that as a graduate student, Miss Daly spent most of her time in the Hayward Memorial Library working on a thesis with a Mr. Pierce, aisle 16, chair 12. Mr. Pierce? Maybe you ought to know something. Hayward Memorial Library frowns on this sort of thing. Only last I'm week... I'm from the police. The stacks on criminology are down that aisle. No, that one. You have trouble, ask the librarian. She was born to suffer being helpful. We could talk here quietly among scholars or at headquarters where they... What's the card? You were saying... Headquarters, Mr. Pierce. Fold a corner of that page or whatever you do not to lose your place. Carol Daly, huh? That's right. Milkmen are kill, uh, killed on a doorstep, and she dies from the power and action of eight cylinders. Requiem for Carol Daly. That's the size of the tear you shed for her, huh, Pierce? Give me the time for a little research, and I'll annotate you a lament that'll break your heart. You're working with her on a thesis. Hmm, someone blabbed that. Did he give you dates? Anti-Carol? Post-Carol? No, so you do it, huh? Anti-Carol was all raccoon and hip flasks. Post-Carol was what you said. The platonic mating of scholars, postgraduate type. She worked with you, did research with you, wrote with you. That's all. You say the thing with such regret. Well, I regret it, too, because with Carol, it was strictly the sticking of noses into tomes. No dates, no college proms, no quiet listening to symphonies in Carol's apartment. What you said. Just like that. That's why I was never introduced to a milkman. That's why it can't wound me too much. The girl is dead. All right, Pierce. Never leave college. Some of our boys might like to make a study of you. Hey, let's leave something out. Uh, a footnote to our discussion. What is it? This. Try Greenwich Village, Bank Street, number 11. Try Margaret Howard. With her, Carol listened to Bob. Her and the Howard group. Haywood Memorial is sure going to miss you. Bye. Miss Howard? Come on, come on, open the door. This is the police. Open it yourself, baby. 
Hi, baby. Your name Margaret Howard? I'm Margaret. Him there on the couch, Jimmy. She, that one, Bab. Huh. They're gone. All of them gone. Looks for the place you've been having a party here, Miss Howard. You like tequila, baby. I like tequila and no tequila. You bring in... You hear me through the door? I said I was from the police. Lemon and salt and no tequila. And friends who walk out on me. But I got you, baby. Well, I got you, baby. Who are you, baby? Look, Miss Howard, I... No reaction, huh? Yeah, it's a lousy party. Hardly worth anything at all. Three-day party to lays an egg in a few hours. No booze. No friends. Who are you? You know a girl named Carol Daly? She's a stinker. Carol's a stinker. Carol's a stinker. She's dead. You're gonna turn pink and green in a minute. Float away under the door, aren't you? She's dead, Miss Howard. Carol? You're a liar. Liar! You're gonna turn pink and green. Get away. Get away from me, you. Get away! We better do it this way, Miss Howard. Martin, baby. Baby, you're loaded, honey. This isn't happening to you. No one's dragging you across the room, honey. Fresh, cold city water, Miss Howard. Won't hurt a bit. Feel better? Sorry, I had to do that. I apologize, Miss Howard, but it's important. Is... Is... Carol... Dad? Yes. Oh. Oh. If she'd been here, it wouldn't have happened. I pleaded with her to come all night long. I pleaded with it. All night? What do you mean? I kept calling her at her apartment last night. All night long, I kept calling her and talking to her. Giving her a blow-by-blow description of the mess we were making. Yeah. She should have come. It was really her party, and she didn't show up. Her party? How? Everybody was waiting to see her again, all of us who all took that tour last summer. Tour? Mr. Blair's tour to England, the student tour, one he conducted. It was a kind of a get-together. Isn't that right, mister? She would have come here. She'd be all right now. Wouldn't have happened to her. What is it? I'm Danny Clover, Mrs. Blair. We met in my office. Yes, what is it? Is your husband home? He's resting. I'm afraid I have to ask you to disturb him. It's very important. I'll ask him whether he'll see you. Wait here. This way, please. Don't let him upset you, Robert. Oh, hello, Mr. Clover. Mr. Blair. What is it you want to talk to Robert about? About Carol Daly. We told you in your office, Mr. Clover. Our lawyer's handling it. That's right, you did. Myra, I'll be all right. You don't have to stay. I'll just send this man home, Robert. I'm afraid not, Mrs. Blair. If you want to stay here and listen to what I have to say to your husband, that's up to you. Now, Myra, please. I'm going to stay, Robert. What kind of wife do you think I am? What do you want, Miss Clover? I told you I want to talk to you about Carol Daly. Well, Myra and I have agreed we'll do everything for a family that we can... Within our means. Miss Daly had no family. But you knew that, didn't you? Well, I told you... You knew that, didn't you? How could Robert have possibly known that? Tell her, Mr. Blair. Uh, Myra... Well, how? How? Myra, I knew her. You knew Carol Daly? Yes. Last summer, your husband conducted a student tour of England. Carol Daly was one of the students. Yes, Myra, that's right. You didn't tell me that, Robert. You lied to me. I didn't lie. I just didn't tell you. You lied. Why did you do that, Robert? Oh, what difference does it make? It can't make any difference. It was a coincidence that I hit someone I knew. What about Raymond Grant, Mr. Blair? 
I don't know anyone by that name. Who is Raymond Grant, Robert? I just told you. He was a milkman. He was found beaten and dead. You knew this man, Robert? No, no. How would I know him? Tell me why my husband should know him, Mr. Clover. I think Raymond Grant was a man who had a sideline. His wife said he frequently got extra money. Sometimes I think he noticed people coming out of the wrong apartment at milk delivery time. He used this knowledge for blackmail. And Robert knew such a man? Myra, do you want to listen to me or do you want to listen to him? You lied to me once, Robert. How do I know what you're going to say? Just listen. He was found dead in front of Carol Daly's apartment. Murdered. Robert. Robert. I'm talking to you, Robert. What, Myra? What, what, what? What do you want? He saw you come out of her apartment. Yes. How many times? I don't know. One time? Yes. Ten times? Yes. Twenty times? Yes, yes, yes. Oh. Oh, Robert. Robert. He found out who you were, that you were married. He blackmailed you. Yes! That girl must have loved you very much, Mr. Blair, to have lied to me, not to have told me that you were the killer. She wanted to tell you then, but I was standing in back of that door when you were talking to her. If you had walked into her room, I would have killed you, too. I see. After you killed the man, you made her get into her evening clothes and say she just returned from a party. She never left the apartment. I found that out a little while ago. She wanted to tell you then, but I wouldn't let her. She didn't love me. She got away from me and tried to get to you. That's why I ran her down. Oh. Oh, Robert. 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 Why do you cry, Myra? Because a girl is dead? Because a man is dead? You lied. You lied. Well, that's why you cry, huh? Not for the man. Not for the girl. And not for me. <laughs> oh, poor Ma. I lied to her. But listen to this, Ma. I found a young girl who I loved. And so I lied to you. And be happy. Now you have something to grieve about. <laughs> Let's go, Mr. Clover. <laughs> Broadway plumes its lights upward into the sky, and the night bursts open. The swarm starts its dance down the canyon streets, and the little man stalks the heels of a drunkard. The place of darting eyes and crowd and mob and people with empty hands. It's Broadway, the gaudiest, the most violent, the lonesomest mile in the world. Broadway, my beat. My Beat stars Larry Thor as Detective Danny Clover, with Charles Calvert as Tartaglia and Jack Crucian as Mugovan. The program was produced and directed by Elliot Lewis, with musical score composed and conducted by Alexander Courage. In tonight's story, Paula Winslow was heard as Myra and Howard McNear as Robert Blair. Featured in the cast were Mary Lansing, Charlotte Lawrence, and Shepard Menken. Youthful actor Dean Stockwell plays his original screen role when Lux Radio Theater dramatizes Kim by Rudyard Kipling this Monday night on CBS Radio. Don't miss this outstanding story of India as seen through the eyes of a young traveler and a Tibetan pilgrim this Monday night on most of these same CBS radio stations. Remember, it's your next attraction on Lux Radio Theater. Bill Anders speaking. And remember, my friend Irma livens your Sunday evenings on the CBS Radio Network.
Get this and get it straight. Crime is a sucker's road, and those who travel it wind up in the gutter of the prison of the grave. There's no other end, but they never learn. For your enjoyment, Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum brings you Raymond Chandler's most famous character in... The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. To make every day more enjoyable, treat yourself often to refreshing, delicious Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum. Here's a taste treat you can enjoy indoors, outdoors, at work or at play. The cool, long-lasting mint flavor refreshes you. The smooth, steady chewing helps keep you fresh and alert, adds enjoyment to whatever you're doing. Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum. Healthful, refreshing, delicious. Now, with Gerald Moore, starred as Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight's exciting story, The Face to Forget. All right, all right, wise guy. I told you once you couldn't come up here to this room, Marlowe. That's right, landlord, but I found all I needed. Well, you won't be able to use it after I teach you some manners. Snooper! I'll teach you to break into a respectable room and house. Not leading with your rights, you won't. Get up. Come on, get up. Okay. I'll teach you something about cooperation, landlord. All I wanted to do was look this room over, and I was nice about asking. Cut it out. I, I got my rules. Yeah, and I got a job to do. I've been looking for Dave Stroud for a solid week, and his trail finally led me here. I, I got to look out for my rumor's privacy. Sure, sure. Only Dave Stroud checked out of here this afternoon. He's no longer your guest. Anyway, I found enough in here to know Stroud's taking the train tonight for San Francisco. So that winds up my lecture, and I'm happy to say my business with you and your charming establishment. Good night, landlord. I stepped out of the cheap, musty rooming house into the warm night. I felt for the first time in a week that I wasn't wasting my time. That by tomorrow I'd know why a quiet young guy named Dave Stroud had suddenly dropped everything that gave life some sense. Everything from a lovely girl to a fine job and vanished. Completely. I stopped in a phone booth, called my client, and told her to meet me in an hour at the Leopard Spot, the bar in her hotel. Then I made a reservation on the 10 o'clock train for San Francisco went home and threw a toothbrush and shirt into a bag, and when I walked into the leopard spot, I was right on time. I found my client, Ellen Wyatt, in a booth near the back. The soft rose lights touching her face made me wonder all over again what kind of pressure it could possibly have been to drive Dade Stroud away from a girl like this. I tried to wait in my apartment upstairs, Phil, but I just couldn't. Is it good news? I hope so, Ellen. <laughs> that broken-down rooming house over in East L.A. paid off all right. Dave was staying there? Yeah, he had been, under the name of Donald Stranigan. But why would he take a place like that? He must have plenty of money with him. Oh, well, the city's cluttered with those joints. They're as common as tin cans. <laughs> he figured you can't look into all of them. We were just lucky. Then he knows what he's doing. There's nothing wrong with him like... like amnesia. No, it's something else, Ellen. Oh, good evening, Miss Wyatt. Martini? Uh, yes, please. For you, sir? Martini sounds fine. Yes, sir. Right. Marlowe, maybe that hunch I had about gambling... Maybe it was right after all. Couldn't some kind of terrible jam with gamblers do this to Dave? Yeah, it might. But I checked that and drew a blank. Say, listen, Ellen, the description of Dave I got at that rooming house isn't too complete. Uh, that snapshot I asked you about, you bring it? Oh, yes. Uh, oh, good. It's in my purse. Ah. Uh, here. Ah. That was taken on our first date four years ago. Four years ago, huh? Those years made quite a change in both of you. Yes. Dave and I are good for each other, Phil. Oh, sure. I, I only hope that the next four Here we years. Are. A martini, very dry. Oh. Oh, thank you, sir. Well, I, I wish we had the kind of news we could toast. Maybe we will. Sooner than you think. You've got a new lead. You know where Dave is. Well, close enough to be pretty sure he's taking the ten o'clock to San Francisco. San Francisco. Yeah, and so am I. Oh, Phil. How about coming down to the station with me, huh? Me. Oh, but do you think that's wise? What if he saw me first? Well, it's worth a chance for you to point him out to me. What do you say, baby? Got something to drink to now? Yes, and I'd better do it fast before I start to bawl. Tears would be awful in a martini.
I still haven't seen you. Wait a minute. How about that one, Ellen? Over there at the cigar counter. Yeah. Oh, the fellow in the T-shirt? Yeah. Uh-uh. Dave couldn't look that sloppy. And besides, he's taller. Oh. Uh, well, that's it, Phil. Yeah. Well, I guess we missed him. I better get aboard, huh? This kind of scares me. You, you don't think Dave just pretended to be leaving, that he tricked you? No, no. Those leads weren't planted. They weren't that good. Don't worry, baby. Dave will be on this train when it pulls out. I'll bet my last buck on it. Find him for me, Phil. Sure. You just keep that chin up. I will. Okay. You call me the very first chance you get. Right. For train 61. Ooh, ooh. Pardon me, lady. I'm sorry. Hey, you, you and that brown bag. Me? Yeah, just a short minute, my friend. Unless you happen to favor dirty shirt size 17. <laughs> You're in for a big disappointment. What are you talking about? <laughs> well, I think you made a small mistake there. Isn't that my bag? I'm afraid not, mister. C.P. is in Philip, M. is in Marlowe. Well, how do you like that? I saw you pick it up back there at the information booth. That's where I left mine. <laughs> I could have sworn it belonged to me. I'm sure sorry. It's all right. Happens to everybody sooner or later. Yeah, well, now that's now, mighty uh, big of you, friend. Say, you're going to be on old 61 for Frisco, too, aren't afraid you? so, yeah. Well, let's call this an introduction. Arbeck's my handle. Manny Arbeck, on the road for Pfeiffer Plumbing Fixtures. Yes, sir. I'll see you on board, friend. Not much doubt about that. No, we might get up a little game. Fun, huh? Oh, fine. Yeah, well, I better shake a leg and get my bag. I'll find you, all right. I never forget a face. Maybe I ought to cut my head off. <laughs> I stopped off in my compartment just long enough to drop my suitcase. Then as we pulled out, I moved through the train to the dining car and picked a seat where I could keep an eye on the rest of the tables for Dave Stroud, who even if I didn't recognize his face, I knew from his fiancée would handle a knife-and-fork European style. He likely'd order liver and bacon and drink tea without sugar, and would probably be dressed in wooded tweeds with his shirt collar open. Well, as soon as I sat down, the car began to fill. My table companion, a quiet tab collar type, had his own business and knew how to mind it. Almost 100%. Which he did for the 15 minutes it took him to eat. Well, I don't know why food always tastes better on a train, but it does. Thanks for letting me share the table with you. Oh, not at all. Uh, perhaps I'll see you later in the club car. We might have a nightcap. Yeah, it's a deal. Fine. Hmm. So long. So long. Oh, so there you are, Oh, Marlo. fine. Hey, I've been looking high and low for you, my friend. What you doing in here? They serve nothing but food in this car, you know. <laughs> Say, who's your pal? I don't know. I don't know. He was here 15 minutes and we didn't get that far. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. You do? Yeah, those quiet birds give me the willies, too. You know, friend, I've seen him someplace before, and I never forget a face. You didn't catch his name, huh? He didn't throw it. He didn't throw it. Oh, oh, oh. You like that, huh? Yes, sir, you're yeah. right on, my friend. Well, it'll come to me. Faces are kind of a hobby with me. I meet a lot of people, but I never forget a... Hey... Have you lost somebody in here the way you keep looking around? Yeah, but I think I found him again. Hey, what's up? Where are you going? Play follow the leader. I'll see you, back. Hey, uh, Marlowe, come back. You dropped something here. In spite of the fog kicked up by the traveling typhoon who never forgot a face, I'd managed to catch a glimpse at the door of a bunch of tweeds and an open collar on a bill that exactly fit the four-year-old snapshot in my wallet. I bucked a huddle of undecided dowagers blocking the aisle, but managed to keep them inside all the way back to car 16 without being seen. There I watched him unlock compartment L and go inside. I was convinced it was Dave Stroud, but at this point I had to be sure. I went to look for the conductor and finally found him tucked away at a lonely table back in the club car, as intent on his ticket count as a cheat at solitaire. I figured I could afford the time now, so I decided to wait. I headed back for the seat, and I ran into my dinner partner, the tab color. Well, hello again. <laughs> You're a little early for that nightcap, but sit down anyway. Thanks. Oh, by the way, I'm uh, Roy Tarney. Oh, mine's Marlowe, Philip Marlowe. Philip Marlowe? Why, I've yeah. read that name many times. You're the famous private detective. Well, <laughs> private detective anyway. <laughs> Glad to know you, Tarney. Privilege for me. Oh, are you looking for a match here? Yeah. Oh, keep them. Keep them. I have others. Oh, thanks. Thanks again. Are you on a case now, Marlo, or, or shouldn't I ask? Well, as a matter of fact, I... Hey, Marlo! Uh, yo. Marlo! Man, are you hard to hang on to. But you're mighty lucky mm. I'm honest, my friend. You see this? Yeah, I see. It's my wallet. Yeah. When you bolted out of the dining car, you dropped it on the seat. I found it for you. Oh. Nothing fell out but this picture here. 
And is she all right, man? Oh, man. Who is she, boy? The name, I mean, huh? Don't tell me. I bet you you've seen her before. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, right. I and so. I never forget her face. Uh-huh. Well, thanks. Now, if you let me have it, I'm very grateful. Yeah, and, sure, uh, sure. Glad to be of service, my friend. Oh. Anytime I can... Well, speaking of familiar faces, this is the gentleman that you had dinner with, huh? That's right, Auerbach. This is the gentleman. Uh, Mr. Auerbach, Mr. Tarney, for better or worse, till your destination do you part. How do you do? Tarney? Tarney, Tarney, Tarney. Now, that's funny. You know, I was just telling Marlowe here that I recognized you from someplace. Uh, it's very unlikely. I have a fair memory myself. <laughs> I don't remember you. Well, I don't know. I, I, I'm pretty good. But, uh, hey, wait, wait a minute. I'm getting it. Sure, sure. <laughs> oh, this is silly. Why, I saw you tonight in the railroad station. No, no, that's impossible. I was so late I nearly missed the train. Me too. Only you had a good reason. Oh, oh, oh yes, sir, my friend. You were kissing the little woman goodbye. I couldn't see her too well, but she was quite a looker. And judging from the way you were going at it, you... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, well, now, wait, wait a minute, friend. I, I didn't mean any offense. I, I was just kidding you along. Yeah, well, I guess I'll uh, go by my way into a little poker. Excuse me. I suppose there has to be one on every train. Yeah, yeah. They help the ride like a square wheel. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think I'll go read a while, Marlo. Good luck on your case. Conductor climb out of his pile of tickets to stretch. I went over, introduced myself, and asked the $64 question. Uh, car 16, compartment L, huh? Well, let's see. Oh, here it is, Mr. Marlowe. That, that room's occupied by one Daniel Stacy. Daniel Stacy? <laughs> sure. Same initials as Dave Stroud. But we're not carrying any Dave Stroud tonight. Don't bet on that, Conductor. It was that simple. I walked up through the train to car 16, and when I got to the door of compartment L, I'd already decided on how to handle Dave. To convince him that he had to go back to Ellen Wyatt regardless of what had happened to him. Yeah, I had it all figured until I heard it. It had come from inside. The door was unlocked, but the lights were out. When I got them on again, I realized that nothing was simple, ever. Stretched out on the floor of Dave's room was Manny Auerbach, staring straight up as he rocked with the pitch of the train, the side of his head against a sharp steel corner, his eyes already beginning to glaze. He said he knew I'd remember sometime. Remember what? Why did you come here, Manny? He said I'd remember... Manny! Manny! Your move again. Let's see you tell this to Ellen Wyatt. Who's that? What? Ooh! To make every day more enjoyable, treat yourself often to refreshing, delicious Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum. The lively, full-bodied, real mint flavor cools your mouth, moistens your throat, freshens your taste. And the chewing itself gives you a little lift, helps you keep going at your best. So for real chewing enjoyment that's refreshing and long-lasting, always keep Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum handy. Healthful, delicious Wrigley's Spearmint Gum will make every day more enjoyable. Now with our star, Gerald Moore, the second act of Philip Marlowe and tonight's exciting story... The face to forget. Either it had been the flat of the pistol crashing against the side of my head, or my head crashing against the stone-hard floor of the compartment, that had turned light into dark and left me with a welt behind one ear the size and shape of a cue ball. I couldn't tell which. When I had both my eyes open, I knew that it didn't matter. That nothing mattered really, except that I was staring into Manny Auerbach's dead face. While only inches away, a pair of feet were moving. Feet that belonged to Dave Stroud, whose suitcase and toe was on his way out. One hand already on the doorknob. I went for him, around the knees! Let go! Let go, I say! By the time I I was off the floor and after him, 
He was well out in front. But wrestling with a heavy steel door at the end of the empty passageway slowed him down. When we reached the platform between the cars, he was almost mine. But then suddenly a hand shot out of the dark, grabbed a fistful of shirt front and spun me hard against the opposite door. No! A hand that belonged to a man in a tab color. Mr. Roy Tarney, plus a shiny 22 automatic. And minus his club car velvet voice. Get up, Marlowe. We've got a little talk coming. At this stage, it'll be a pleasure. Believe me. We'll see. What do you want with Dave Stroud? I'm a census taker who's real... Cut it. Time is running short, Marlowe. When you get off at this stop coming up, you stay off. Yeah? What's your angle? Dave. He still needs my help, and he's still gonna have it. No matter who he kills? Kills? What's that supposed to mean? Manny Auerbach, the chummy one who couldn't forget faces. He's very dead back in Dave's compartment. Well, then... And that loudmouth wasn't just a blowhard salesman after all. He was what Dave's been running from, one of those lousy card shop... Slips, huh, Tony? Yeah, but they don't count, Mr. Detective. Nothing counts anymore but Dave getting out of a jam that can cost him his hide. Just for the record, that game back in L.A. three months ago that cost Dave every cent he had plus ten grand he didn't was about as level as the rest of that knee pants town ever gets. Which makes you what? Two things, smart Alec. First, a guy from Detroit, a real town, who doesn't like a lousy fix. And second, I like a fix even less when the sucker on tap is my own brother. Now, people, get back away from that door. The station's on that side. I wouldn't want you to run for it and get shot before you got to say a few words. Back over here, Marlow. Uh, take it easy with that gun, huh? They go off, you know. All right, the pitch. Let's have it now. What's Dave to you? Ellen Wyatt. Mean anything? Not very much. But Dave is sorry about that. So when you get back to your client, you Carter, tell it... Hold Carter, it. California. Just like you are in state cheerful. This stop, Carter. Carter, gentlemen. Oh, uh, conductor, this uh, this train wait here a while? I mean, is there any time to get off and stretch? No, sir. Just stop long enough to pick up a little mail, leave a little mail once in a while, take on a passenger. Hardly ever, though, Carter folks aren't much on traveling. Oh, but by the way, aren't you the gentleman who was looking for Mr. Stacy? Uh, yeah... I found him, thanks. Oh, don't mention it. Glad to be of service. Say, don't get too close to the edge here, gentlemen. Carter! Carter, California! We, uh... We were talking about Ellen Wyatt, Tony. Why didn't precious brother Dave ever let her know that he had to lay low? That he was in a jam with gamblers? A bunch of roses with card and clothes could have gone a long way, or again, there's the telephone... Oh, button it up, Marlowe. I don't know any of the details. Maybe the kid didn't want it to know he couldn't stay away from the pasteboards. Maybe he just didn't want it to worry. Anyway, that's not the point. And what is? That a broken heart beats a broken skull seven times a week. You should know that much, people. So? So I don't want you, the girl, or anyone else to know where Dave is heading. At least not until I get back to L.A., buy my lonesome, and call a few spades just that. Like they do in Detroit, maybe, huh? Like they do in Detroit, no, maybe. You tell the Wyatt babe I'll look her up then. Now you get over there at the door and you take your choice. Jump or get pushed? Jump, pushed, or shot. Go on, Marlowe. This is where you get off. Go on, the longer you wait, the harder it's gonna be. Name it. Jump, push, or shot. I couldn't say much for the alternatives. But one look back over my shoulder at the gaping 22 automatic leveled at my head and Tawny's ice-cold gray eyes above made up my mind for me. Jump, it had to be! remember one thing about Carter, California. The right of way was more sand than stone. I... I was grateful. Uh, Carter Station, Willis Hensett speaking. The limited left ten minutes ago. No, no package for you, Miss Lillispan. I'm sure, sure, I'm sure. Huh? Me snapping at you. Now listen, Miss Lilly. Yeah. Brass of some people. Say, what happened to you, son? I tripped. Dad, this is important. Can you tell me where the limited stops next? Well, is anybody getting on at Murdoch Corner? No, no, no. Uh, the first real stop. A good-sized town. Uh, let's see... 
Smoke cigars, son? No, no, no. Look, Dad, this counts. Now, come on, tell me, will you? Yeah, yeah, sure. Well, now, there's Fulton. That's a half hour wait. Oh. Uh, you got a match, please, son? Oh, yeah, here. Yeah. Here's a whole book, Keaton. Now, tell me, how far is Fulton? Oh, 40, maybe 50 miles. Upgrade on the road. How can I get there in a hurry? I got to catch that train. Well, uh, if you got a car, you can. uh, Where can I rent a car or get a cab? (laughs) This is yours. Not a chance, honey. Oh, excuse me, Jake's calling from Bakersfield. He's uh, he's expecting a grandchild. Hooray for Jake. Now, listen to me, Dad. There's a dead man on the Limited and his killer as well, and I was tossed off the train. Now, let's take the business. What? Well, 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 in that case, let's call ahead and get the police. No, I don't want that. Well, uh, why not, son? Because for one thing, the killer may have been justified. Self-defense and the sight of the law will toss him into a lot of panic. He'll only end up in more gunplay. And for another, I have a very personal axe to grind. Uh, Getting tossed off the train, huh? Yeah, among other things. Now, will you tell me that coupe out there? Is it yours? Yeah, but I can't let you take my car. You're a straight... Cash? Cash. Here. Also, here's my credentials. I'm a private detective out of L.A. I'll get uh, your car back to you as soon as possible. I'll pay you another 50 when I do. Uh, now, give me the keys, will you? Quick. Yeah, yeah, sure, 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 okay. sure. Here, here, it's one in the middle. Thanks, Dad, and don't worry. I'll drive real ca- Re- oh, oh, What's the matter, son? Well, you're staring like you don't feel so good. What is it? Uh, your head, maybe? Yeah. Yeah, my head, maybe. I ought to have it examined. Sometimes it's real slow coming up with the truth. The truth? What do you mean, son? I mean, I got a big fat hunch, a hunch that may be able to stop a second murder if I make it to Fulton in time. So long, Dad. Thanks a lot. You've been a great help. My apologies and congratulations to Jake. Like the station agent himself, Willard Hansen's coupe was a little less than spry. But with the accelerator jammed hard to the floor and only a straight, empty highway ahead, I managed to keep it at a straining 70 most of the way. And 50 minutes later, when I tore into Fulton and followed the street markers to the station, a long, low, welcome sound in the night told me I was on time. The train was just getting underway again. I slammed to a stop at the end of the depot, piled out of the coupe and started to run for the last car. But I changed my mind. The train could chug on its merry way without me. After all, it was going without Dave Stroud and his big brother. The two men were walking down the deserted platform toward me. I slid back into the shadows of a pile of crates and waited, my hand tight on the 38 in my pocket, suddenly positive that my hunch was now a sure thing. Roy Tawney was not Dave's brother, but he was the one who had murdered Manny Owl back in car 16, compartment L. And he was ready to try murder again. All right, Stroud, that's far enough. Hold it there. Tawney, you're out of your mind. You've got no reason to kill me. I'll never say anything. Ellen knows that. That's why I ran. I could never turn Ellen over to the police. I I love her. Oh, yeah, sure. You're nuts about it. You got lots of reasons to be, haven't you? Reasons like Ellen crossing you up for me and a tall stack of dough. Reasons like knowing that we're both responsible for knocking off our ex-boss to come into that dough. Sure, kid, you got lots of reasons to love her. But, Tony, I tell you, I do. I ran away, didn't I? Oh, but of course, Mr. Stroud, of course, you ran so that you could wait for a smart time in the smart place to try blackmail. No, no, that's not it. I ran because I love Ellen. Because whatever she's done has been your fault. Oh, no, kid, you got it all wrong. The lady was the pilot all the way. Even to hire a lousy peeper named Marlowe to tag you so that I'd know where to get my hands on you. The, the man on the floor in my compartment? The dead man? That was a loudmouth salesman with a memory for faces. He would have spoiled everything if he'd remembered that he saw me with Ellen in the railroad station and passed it on to Marlowe. I had to shut him up and then give the peeper a big cock and bull story about you being my brother and in hot water with gamblers. And Marlowe was the other one, the one who grabbed for me. That's right, Stroud. That was Marlowe. Too bad he didn't grab better, isn't it? Yeah, perfect shame, Tony. Well, you dirty lousy! Oh, Watch out! He's big gun! Makes two of us! Is he... Is he dead, Marlowe? Yeah, Dave. Even in Detroit, he'd be called dead. Come on, Dave. We got some telephone calls to make. The police, for one. All right. Marlowe, is all this really true? Yeah, I'm afraid so, Dave. The girl you wouldn't turn in for murder wanted to murder you. Believe it, kid, all at once. It'll be easier later on that way. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Marlowe, for getting here when you did. 
You saved my life. Well, not exactly. A guy named Willis Hansard gets part credit for that. A guy who runs a railroad station at Carter, California, and also smokes cigars and <laughs> sometimes runs out of matches. <laughs> what does that have to do with it? Everything, Dave. See, Hansard needed a light, and I gave him a book of matches that Roy Tony had given me earlier in the club car. I hadn't noticed them then, but I did when Hansard used them. They came from the leopard spot, Dave. The leopard spot? Yeah. The, the cocktail lounge at Ellen's hotel? That's right. And I couldn't buy Tony's having them as just coincidence to tie them into Ellen too tight. A hunch said so. Wait here, will you, kid? I'll only be a couple of minutes. I've got a long-distance call to make before we get in touch with the police. To Ellen? But what are you going to tell her, Marlo? Anything, Dave. Anything that'll keep her right where she is, ready and waiting for what's going to turn out to be the uh, L.A. police. I won't be long, kid. After the telephone call, Dave and I spent a long hour with the Fulton police, explaining why a man named Roy Tawney was lying in their quiet railroad station, face down in a pool of his own blood. And it was a long hour again with the railroad officials who arrived with their own set of questions. Well, it was four o'clock in the morning before we were finally aboard a train, heading back for L.A. Dave Stroud and I sat opposite each other in silence through that bleak, empty hour when you can almost feel the day that's coming up nudge the one that's just gone by. I was real glad to see it go. I sat there looking at Stroud and wondered if he'd ever heard the lyrics of a song a train whistle always makes me think of. My mammy done told me. When I was in knee pants, my mammy done told me, son, a woman's a two-face. A worrisome thing will leave you to sing the blues in the night. Remember, friends, to make every day more enjoyable, treat yourself often to refreshing, delicious Wrigley Spearmint Chewing Gum. There's lots of cooling, real mint flavor in every stick, and chewing Wrigley Spearmint helps keep you feeling fresh and alert. You feel better, work better, get more fun out of doing things. So indoors, outdoors, wherever you go, keep some healthful, refreshing Wrigley Spearmint Chewing Gum handy. To make every day more enjoyable, Treat yourself often to delicious Wrigley Spearmint Chewing Gum. The Adventures of Philip Marlowe, bringing you Raymond Chandler's most famous character, star Gerald Moore, are produced and directed by Norman MacDonald and written for radio by Robert Mitchell and Gene Levitt. Featured in the cast were Harry Bartell, Sammy Hill, Roy Rowan, Parley Bear, Larry Dobkin, Elliot Reed, and Junius Matthews. The special music is composed and conducted by Richard Arant. The makers of Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum invite you to be with us next week when Philip Marlowe says... This time I tangled with three snakes. The first was made of gold, the second wore a mustache, and the third was in the bag, and each in its own way, poison. Bob Stevenson speaking. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. That's the show for this week. Hope you enjoyed our selections this time. You can find more from Broadway is My Beat, Philip Marlowe, past episodes of this show, and everything else Relic Radio at relicradio.com. Don't forget, you can donate there as well. That's how this is all made possible. My thanks, as always, to those who have helped out. Thanks for joining me today. Be back next Wednesday with another episode of Case Closed. <laughs>